All right, give me in uh, Luke chapter 16 this morning. If you don't mind turning in your Bibles to Luke 16, I'm going to begin in verse 1 in a minute. Um, I'm going to be open in a prayer, but um, I just want you to think of somebody in your life, um, maybe that's been there for you, that knew you well, um, knew you well enough that they could, um, they could confront you, that they could be honest with you, that they could speak to your, your gut, to your, your, your heart, and, and they knew what was really going on. Um, maybe a grandfather or a father or a mother um, or a really close friend that you've had that was close enough that they could get away with doing that. Um, to look past, uh, you know, the facade and to, to look past everything else and to say, I, I need to talk to you about something. And you had to hang on every word because you knew that they knew you. Now, you probably have also had those people in your life that have made a lot of judgments about you, that they think they know you, they say things about you, and you're thinking, I'm not sure you have a good, good handle on who I am. Jesus, um, throughout the Gospels, has this ability, and actually this story this morning is going to close with Jesus looking at the Pharisees, and it's going to say... Um, you, you're trying to show yourself before men. You're trying to impress men. But God knows your heart. And what I'm speaking to you, you know I'm speaking to what's really happening inside of you. I remember a time that I was um, consumed. Uh, yeah, this still happens to me with um, some kind of doctrinal debate. I'm not going to talk about what it was. I don't want to distract this morning. But it was, we were talking about something, and, and uh, I had this really good friend that um, instead of arguing Greek with me, instead of arguing the text with me, he just looked at me and he said, you know better. You know better and you know you're mishandling God's word right now and I'm not going to debate it with you because in your gut you know it. And it hit me so hard because he was right. And um, I'm thinking about this particular passage of Scripture used to be considered, still is considered, to be one of the very most difficult passages of Scripture for interpretation and application. It's very difficult. It's it's commonly called the parable of the unjust steward. But I think more difficult than comprehending, okay, what is this parable about? What's he talking about? What's the message? More difficult than that this morning is actually understanding it. I think that it carries a lot more weight once you understand what is he actually saying What is he speaking to us and what is he speaking to our hearts right now? Um, This message, I believe, is extremely powerful. And um, I'm talking about being entrusted this morning. And there's an incredible weight that's been laid on me this morning. And I I really want you to share that weight. I want you to carry that burden as well. Um, I think we're supposed to walk away from this scripture feeling a little bit burdened with being entrusted. And what that means what that means for the sobriety with which we live this life as tenants before this world and before our God. So I want to lift you up in prayer. I want to lift this scripture up in prayer. And I just pray that this would be a time where we sit before a Lord who knows our hearts, that we allow him to speak to us the way he spoke to the Pharisees, spoke, speaking directly into their hearts. Let's, let's pray. Uh, Father, I just want to lift up this parable before you. This is your word. These are your words. And I pray, God, that you would give us um, 
clear thinking this morning, not just to understand your words, but God, to understand their application for us. Um, I pray, Father, that as your people, we will feel the weight of responsibility of representing you, of representing your word, and that we would look at this life and every breath that we're given as a complete gift from you. Uh, It's in the name of Christ to come before you. Amen. All right, Luke uh, chapter 16. I'm going to begin in verse 1 of this parable. It says this, uh, Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. Now, uh, one thing that helps with this parable is it's couched by two other parables that are both about rich men. Uh, In chapter 15, um, we're we're told the parable of... uh, of a man that um, inherited a great fortune, all of this wealth, and he squandered it. And he has to bring himself back to going home. And the, the parable that follows this is the rich man in Lazarus, somebody who lived in great wealth. He had a lot of possessions. And that parable is going to focus on the eternal, which is kind of where he's going in all of this. But what I want you to know, to help us understand this parable, we are on one solid vein of thought that Jesus has been on since chapter 15. We're talking about wealth, but that wealth represents something much larger than money. And, and, and that's something we're going to talk about towards the end of this. But he's going to say that this rich man um, has a manager. And this manager is accused of wasting his possessions. Now, the word wasting, if, if your version says scattering, it's more accurate. He scattered his possessions. Most likely in this parable, what's going on is he has all of this stuff. He's entrusted with this. And he's lent it out. He's given it to all these people. And the reason he has is because he's going to make a profit. He's going to make, um, it's, it's usury, and, and which was forbidden in Jewish law. In Exodus 22, you are not allowed to make a loan and get interest on that loan. And so that's kind of what's going on here, most likely, something along those lines. And so this is, he's part of this group that we're introduced to in chapter 3 of Luke when John the Baptist is out there baptizing people and he's and they're begging him and they're saying, what, now hold on to this, what shall I do? What shall I do? And that particular phrase comes up over and over and over through the book of Luke. What sh- And Acts, what am I supposed to do? What does this mean for me? And the tax collectors and those that were responsible, like this man, for these funds, came to John and he said, what shall we do? And he said, don't collect more than you're required to. Don't do this to people. So this man has been doing this most likely. This is the situation. He's been scattering the possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? Again, this comes up in Luke. What shall I do? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. Um, What's amazing about this is I found this law in the book of Leviticus. There's a law against what he's done and what must be done as a result. This is Leviticus 6. If anyone sins and is unfaithful to the Lord by deceiving his neighbor about something entrusted to him, or left in his care, he must return what was entrusted to him. He must make restitution in full and add a fifth of the value to it 
and give it all back to the owner on the day he presents his guilt offering. So this, this is actually something in the law that if you did this, he has to return the full amount plus 20%. That's what's supposed to happen. And so that's probably what he means when he says, give an account. You come here and you make this right. Um, and he says, man, I'm, too, I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. He confesses his physical weakness. He confesses his spiritual weakness even. And then, but, but watch what he says. What shall I do now? Again, look at all these verses that have this, and just in Luke, that express this question. And it's a question Christ wants us to ask of ourselves in this message this morning. What does this mean for me? What will I do? What is my responsibility? What have I been entrusted with? And what does this mean? Almost everyone in Jesus' parables is brought to a crisis moment. The prodigal son is brought to the same eye-opening realization. A crisis moment. We call it hitting rock bottom, maybe. That moment in your life where you're like, I have to make a choice. I need to make a decision about what I'm, what I'm going to do going forward. So he says, I know what I'll do. So that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? Now, I love this. I, and I don't know, maybe I don't understand the historical situation. But I think it's funny that he has to ask. It shows something about his irresponsible nature, most likely, if he's like, how much do you owe? Can you imagine if somebody came to you and said, how much do you owe me? I'm like, um, <laughs> 10 bucks, man. I, 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 they were honest about it. 800 gallons of oil. Somewhere in the neighborhood, it was, if it wasn't 800, it was 900. It was somewhere in that neighborhood. But you're talking about, right here, you're talking about three years' wages. This is a lot of money. He says, man, we're going to cut this in half. He replied when the manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat. He replied and told him, take your bill and make it 800. Um, For both of these, he takes off about two years' wages. This is going to be a lot of money. Now the question is, is he taking this money for himself so that he can survive after he's fired? Or is he going to do his best and make rest? Is this going back to the owner? I can't really tell from the parable. Um, But he goes on and says, for the people of this world... Now this is where the, the parable gets a little confusing. The people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Um, it's so interesting, it says, this, this, this phrase, people of the light, happens in John, Ephesians, 1 Thessalonians. It was a word that was used to describe children of God. And I think it's so strange that Christ here would say, man, children of God, would you learn something from the children of the world? It almost sounds like what he's saying here. Um, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Um, I think what he wants us to get out of this, and, and there's a few verses I want to take you to in the New Testament that kind of, I, I think, help um, express probably what he has in mind here. First, the, the, the owner, when he commends the servant, he's not praising him. I think even some versions reflect that he's praising him. That's not the idea. He's basically saying, well played, little thief. Uh, get out of here. Um, he's not saying you're a great guy. He probably hates him more at this point. 
But he is committing. He said, that was pretty smart. It was well played. Because now, at least you've made friends for yourselves. Can you imagine if someone came to your house and said, man, how much do you owe uh, the bank for your house? Well, I have a couple hundred thousand dollars. Um, man, sit down right now. Make me a check for 80000 and we're good. Man, you want to spend the night at my house next week? Absolutely. Man, you got a place, you know. And, and that meant something to them. So they open up their homes to, to this man. But now Christ is going to bring this to us and say, what are we going to do with this? Um, and he says this thing about eternal dwellings. So I want to real quickly just read what he had said in chapter 12 of Luke. Verse 33, sell your possessions, give it to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there's where your heart is going to be. Throughout the book of Luke, Christ is begging us and he's begging the people to lift their eyes out of, to take them off of their feet and to look ahead to pick up your head and look at eternity and stop looking at what's in front of your face. He talks to fishermen. And he says, stop fishing for fish. I'm going to make you fishers of men. They, they come to him later in the book and they're saying, to say, look how beautiful this building is. Look how beautiful this temple is. He's going to say, I'm not, one of stone is not going to be left upon another. I promise you all of this is going to happen. Disaster is coming. Lift up your eyes to eternity. He calls us out of the temporal into the eternal. He calls us out of the mundane into the profound. In chapter 12, he accuses a rich man. You say, man, the more wealth you acquire, you just build bigger barns. But don't you understand that today your life is demanded of you? That you have to pick up your eyes and look at something more eternal. Every single day that I leave my house, I walk by a wall in my garage. By the stairs as I come out my garage door, And on that wall, it says Natalie. Natalie was this high. In first grade, she was that high. And I have every mark for Natalie, her brother, her mom, and her dad. And I walk by it every day on my own garage wall. And it reminds me every single day that someone lived in my house before I did. They had memories. They had a family. They had life. And that was in my house before I was, in my sacred place. That's my house. And I'm living in somebody else's memories. And what's crazier still for me to think is someone is going to live in my house after I do. And I'm just there, owner or not. I'm just there as a tenant. And every single one of these parables, almost, Jesus uses the illustration of tenants. Of people that are just, it's, you've been entrusted with something, but it's not yours. None of it is yours. I used to get upset about the idea of giving children um, money to put in the collection plate. I didn't like that because I was thinking, they're not making a sacrifice, so it's not really, I don't know what we're teaching them. Because it has to be a sacrifice. And then I realized I'm now in love with the idea of giving your child something to put in the collection plate. Because what an incredible parable. That it does not belong to that child. They've been entrusted with it to put it in the plate. 
But it does not belong to them. It never did. It came to them and they did with it something that would glorify God. And now I love that picture because it is a picture of us. You have been entrusted with every breath you breathe. The precious gift of life. For a brief period of time, God has loved me enough to entrust me with it. The book of Romans is built around this theme. In chapter 3, he looks at the Jews and he says, You have been entrusted with the very words of God. In chapter 9, he says, You were entrusted with the law. You were entrusted with the temple. You were entrusted with the promises. You were... He keeps going to this theme of, You've been entrusted with this. And he's going to bring it to us and say, You as God's people living in Colorado in the 21st century, at this period of time, you have been entrusted with the burden of representing Jesus to this world. It was so much easier for me when I got to be a critic. I loved getting to criticize churches. I loved getting to sit and watch and say, what a show, what a circus, what have you turned Jesus into? It's an incredible burden when it's laid on your shoulders to do it. I want to be a food critic, I don't want to be a chef. But every single one of us bears the responsibility to a generation who has been taught that religion is a circus That Christianity is just a marketing scheme in America. That we're just social clubs. And now we have the, we bear the weight of the responsibility of showing this world Jesus Christ. That terrifies me. Absolutely terrifies me. I wish I could just let this parable be about money. And it is. But if we just isolate this to money, we're missing it. You have been entrusted with your children. Those children do not belong to you. They were entrusted to your care. You were entrusted, those of you who bear the name Christ, with the representation of Christ. You were entrusted with all of this. I want to close with a couple of verses that mean a lot to me because they're Paul's last words that he wrote. He wrote two books that are the very last things we have, both of them written to Timothy. The first one he closes out writing Timothy with these words. Command those that are rich in this world to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And this way they'll lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they will take hold of life that is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. His final words to Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, my son. The second book of Timothy, he says it again in his closing words. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. 
Not a single possession of this manager actually belonged to him. Nothing was his. In the same way, that's where we are right now. I brought my backpack up here just as an illustration. Um, This represents my life to me. Everything that God has given me, that he's entrusted me with. And I don't know if you've ever been entrusted with something by somebody else. Usually, for me, the weightier things is knowledge, something I know about somebody, something I know about a situation. I've been entrusted with something that I have to guard it and I have to, I have to do something with it. And he is saying this in this parable. It's a very simple message, I believe. He's saying this, man, in the world, they even know to use wisdom to look at their situation and use their assets to help better their situation. I'm about to lose my job. I'm going to, lose, I'm going to use my resources to get out of this. Is the, is, the, is the person in this parable wicked? Absolutely. Jesus even says that. He calls him one of the people of the world and contrasts him with the people of light. Jesus is not commending this man's actions. He's saying what he did was wise with what he had. Now you, as people of the light, as Christians, this is what you've been given. My life, every breath, everything that I've got. Now, invest it in something eternal. Um, in my bag... I have, it's, it's kind of funny to me, but it it's also means a lot to me, a gift that the Richters gave me. It's a white rock because that's how much he's willing to spend. <laughs> and this rock means a whole lot to me, actually, because it comes from something that we used to talk about um, a lot. And I've always thought about what I'm going to do in this life And how I'm going to use my resources, my time, my job, everything, to invest in something eternal. Because were I to come up with a cure for AIDS, cancer, everything else, I would have done this world a favor. But I still will not have invested in eternity. If I were to do everything I could to bring the poor off the streets and everything, that's beautiful and I represent Christ. But the one thing that you can do to invest in eternity is to represent Jesus' message in this world and to bring souls to Christ. That is eternal. This rock says one one funny thing, because I always used to say this and Jason would make fun of me, because I always used to say this. The stone that once marked you. Um... Because I thought, no matter what I do in this world, in a hundred years, my name will be forgotten. No matter what I do. In 500 years, only people working on their PhDs would remember your name if you did something big. Mm. The you and the stone that once marked where your body lie will both disappear from this planet. That's a fact. Jesus, throughout this book, is calling the people to look up and say, don't fear death. Don't fear it. I will care for you there too. I'm bringing you into something eternal. Wait to the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. That is powerful stuff. I am talking about eternity right now. 
So right now in this world, while you're in this tent and in this place, look at every resource you've got, your kids, your money, every breath, your life, and say, God, help me use this to invest in eternity. Everything I've got, help me invest in eternity. God forbid that I live my life in comfort right now and just say, well, man, I'm living a moral life. I hope I get to go to heaven someday. No, invest in heaven. Take everything you've got and invest in it. How can I take my money? How can I take my time? How can I take my breath and do something that brings somebody closer to God? How can I use what I've got right now to invest in something beyond this? And the whole point is not this. It's never about, are you wealthy? You're a bad person. Are you poor? That means you're a good person. Jesus never spoke like that. It's this. Where is your focus? Where is your heart? Where your treasure is. That's where your heart is going to be. And he's going to constantly lift up our heads and say, I'm speaking to you. I'm speaking to you, my son. I'm speaking to you, my daughter. I know you. I want you to remember that your life is about to be taken. And while you are here, you are here for one reason. To bring me glory. And I pray this one prayer for every one of us. And I am going to close in a prayer. But I pray that this would always be true of us. That we would never be guilty of being the critic that's just going to sit back and say, well, I wish things were different. God has called you to action. God has called you to set your mind and prepare your mind for action. To be responsible and accountable. Not for what Jeff does or the elders do or your brothers and sisters doing here. You have been called to be accountable and as a steward for what he has invested in you. My Father, I just want to lift you up and I I pray, God, that we would stand before you in complete honesty. That we would lift up symbolically every resource we have. And I pray, Father, that you who know our time, our heart, our energy, our expenses, everything about our lives. I pray, God, that we would recognize that we are tenants, that we are custodians, that we are caretakers. But this does not belong to us, not even this body renting it all. And I just pray, Father, that you'd give us that vision to see it and to give us the wisdom, begging of you the wisdom to invest in something more eternal. And I pray, God, that we would look up and see this world and fall in love with the opportunities that you're laying before us. I praise you, Father, for the gift of your word. In the name of Christ, amen. Let's stand and worship our God.